You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, moving over from ScoreZag Score and taking over here at Locked On. First, I want to thank you all for making this podcast your first listen of the day. Whether you are a new listener to the show, new to my content, or coming over from my previous show, a reminder to please follow and subscribe to this podcast wherever you already get podcasts, and to look out for an upcoming YouTube channel, which is going to start in the next few weeks for those of you who are more visual or who just want to see what kind of setup I have in my quote-unquote podcast studio. All right, today is one of those mishmash episodes. Uh, it's my first one since taking over at Lockdown. Those of you who are familiar at ScoreZag Score, sometimes there's just a lot of little things to talk about, and that's kind of what we're going to do today. Our first topic is the impact that the Dominic Harris foot injury is going to have on the Zags. For those who missed it, Dominic Harris had surgery on Wednesday. He will be out roughly six to ten weeks. We're going to talk about all about that in the first segment, what it means for him, what it means for this Gonzaga team. Second segment, we got a handful of recruiting updates for the class of 2022, which hasn't really shaped out in a major way for the Zags just yet. There's still plenty of time, a couple targets that we're going to talk about in that class. And then in the third segment, finally, we're going to close out the show looking at the four Gonzaga alumni who played in the MLB this past season. One of my last episodes at ScoreZag Score was talking about every Gonzaga player who played in the minor leagues, and we didn't finish the major league section because the big leagues were still happening at the time of that show. So now we're going to talk about those four players, how they did this season, what their future looks like in the big leagues. All right, we can start it out. Let's talk about Dom. This is the biggest story from this past week. About a little over a week ago, there was a report that Dom was in a walking boot. And by report, I mean he tweeted it. He posted it on his Instagram account that he was in a walking boot, mentioned it was a minor setback. We didn't hear any news for a couple of days. It sounds like now, according to Dana O'Neill at The Athletic, that Harris ruptured his plantar fascia, which is... A pretty significant foot injury on his left foot. He was supposed to have surgery today, or excuse me, Wednesday. I'm recording this on Wednesday evening. So he had surgery today. The report on that is the typical recovery time is somewhere between six to 10 weeks. Um, Gonzaga fans should be familiar with this because Killian Tilly had the similar injury. He had a partial tear in his foot and missed almost exactly six weeks. I don't know the severity of Dom's injury, nor am I a doctor or any level of medical professional, so I don't know that I can give you an accurate description of how long he might be out. But I would probably err on the side of this taking a little longer than you might expect for a couple of reasons. One, it does. It sounds like it's a fairly severe injury. We didn't hear partial tear. We heard ruptured. That was the word that was used. Again, language matters. I don't know how significant this is because we haven't heard a whole lot yet, but my guess is it's probably relatively significant. He was labeled as being out indefinitely, which is never a good sign. And then more on more because the Zags have a lot of depth. I mean, a lot of depth. <laughs> they they had five guys for four spots, quite frankly. They had Andrew Nembhard, Hunter Salas, Rasir Bolton, Nolan Hickman, and Dominic Harris. Those were the five guards who were going to split two, two and a half spots, because I've mentioned before, I think they're going to play a lot of three guard lineups this year. Now they have four guys for four spots through at least 
at least the Duke game. The Duke game is November 26th. That is almost exactly six weeks after Dom's injury, so he's not going to be back for the Duke game. Ten weeks after the injury is December 27th. Gonzaga's conference slate starts on December 30th, so I think it's possible that Dom is back in time for league play. I also think it's possible that the Zags hold him out. There are a couple options. A, they could redshirt him. This could make some sense. If he is not ready for the start of league play, there's a chance they just redshirt him and take the year. Now, he already has a bunch of extra eligibility because of COVID, and he's probably not going to use all of it because he's really, really good at basketball. So I don't know how much that matters. But again, on a roster that is already pretty crowded, especially in the guard room, if those guys are off to a really good start this year, if Salas and Hickman look like the real deal, there's a chance that they just kind of let Dom sit this one out. There's no real reason to rush him back. Now, again, that could change. Either there could be another injury, God forbid, or, you know, Nolan Hickman could really struggle. Rasir Bolton could struggle to figure out the off. Like, there's a lot of things that could happen. I don't think they're necessarily very likely because I think all the players Gonzaga have are really, really talented, and I think they're going to mesh together very well. But there is a scenario where one or two pieces aren't really fitting together and Gonzaga does everything they can to get Dom back onto the court as soon as possible. I think more likely is they, they ease him back. They don't get him back into action until January, February. He plays a relatively small role just because he's trying to find his footing, not because he's not good enough to play or anything like that. He's, there's just no real reason to rush him. Or they opt to just you know, to cancel the whole year and just say, no, you're done. We're going to sit you out for the entire year. When you get healthy, we're going to have you practice. We're going to have you, you know, get back into the rhythm. You're going to go hard when you're fully healthy in practices and everything. We're just going to hold you out of game action for the entire season. Get that extra year of eligibility. Have you coming back in 22, 23, like extremely ready to go. What it means for Gonzaga, obviously we talked about the depth. It's already there. We talked about how this may not be a huge hit in terms of the overall roster construction, but it does impact them in one major way, three-point shooting. Dom didn't prove himself as an elite three-point shooter as a freshman because he didn't get an opportunity to. I think he's a very good three-point shooter. He's a volume shooter. I don't think he's some hyper-efficiency machine because that's just not the way that he plays, but he is a dude who's going to shoot a lot of threes. He was going to pull up three. He was going to shoot threes off the dribble. He was going to do a lot of different stuff, and now we don't get to see that. And for on a team that where that's the big question mark is perimeter shooting. Andrew Nemhard's never been a great three-point shooter. I think we'll see him improve, and I talked about that in his player preview episode, but it hasn't been a part of his game. Rasir Bolton, never been a part of his game. Nolan Hickman, Hunter Salas, both true freshmen. Hickman, I think, is a good shooter, but he's probably your fourth guard, at least in my mind. And that's, you don't want most of your three-point shooting to come from your fourth guard. Obviously, Julian Strother and Chet Holmgren are going to be significant parts of the offense, particularly around the perimeter. But losing Dom hurts. It hurts in that regard. It also hurts because all of the reports we had from the coaching staff during last year's practices and before the season this year were that Dom's a tenacious on-ball defensive player. We saw it in snippets last year, but as I talked about a lot in the Julian Strother player preview, it was really hard to gauge much about either of these guys last year because they weren't playing against very good competition. Most of their minutes came against bad teams' backups. And you're playing in a situation where you're already up 30 and the other team is not playing super aggressively. You're not really trying to score. So it's hard to gauge these guys' talent level. It's hard to gauge what kind of player they are. I think we know they're talented, but it's hard to really get a good sense for what kind of player they're going to be when you just see them playing the last five minutes of a 32-point game against Portland. Like, that doesn't tell you a whole lot. 
But all the reports say Dom's a good on-ball defender. I trust the coaching staff if they believe that. Looking at him physically, looking at the st- the style of player that he is that we saw in the brief moments from his high school tape, all of that stuff, I believe that 100%. And perimeter defense is an area on this team that is not super well-defined. Jalen Suggs was the team's best perimeter defensive player last year. Joel Iyayi was probably second. That is an area that they, again, need to work on. Bolton, I think, is going to be a good defensive player. Nemhart is a good defensive player. I don't know a ton about the freshmen, obviously, in Salas and Hickman. But Dom, I think, was going to be the tenacious dude who got in people's faces, who really hassled opposing ball handlers. Think what Gary Bell used to be really good at. Think what Stephen Gray was really good at. I think that was going to be a part of Dom's role. And now it doesn't exist because he's going to be out for, in my mind, probably 10 weeks. Probably will not play a basketball game for Gonzaga in the year 2021. That is my guess. So somebody's going to need to step up into that role. Again, Gonzaga has depth. They have talent. They have guys who I think are hungry to fill that role. But Dom would have been really good at it. And it's a bummer that he's going to be healthy. Glad we have all the depth that we have. I feel sad for Dom. This was a good year, a big year for him to step up and and be a big contributor. It doesn't look like that's going to happen. It doesn't mean that his future is in any way, shape, or form in question in a Gonzaga uniform. I think he's going to come back stronger, better than ever. I hope it's in the second half of this year. Part of me is thinking it might end up being next season. All right, coming up. That was a little bit depressing. Not the happiest first segment I've ever done. We're going to move on to a happier topic. We're going to go in detail on a pair of recruiting targets for Gonzaga and talk a little bit about the class of 2022 just at large. But before we get there, though, I want to tell you about Sweatblock. Today's episode is brought to you by Sweatblock. Sweatblock is currently the number one selling product in Amazon's antiperspirant category, and for good reason. This doctor-created and doctor-recommended product is manufactured right here in the USA and comes with a dry shirt guarantee. That's right, the folks at Sweatblock are so confident in their product that if it doesn't keep you dry, you get your money back. So what are you waiting for? Do you have a big presentation coming up? Do you have a job interview, a first date? Give Sweatblock a try, and if it doesn't work, you get your money back. These wipes have been featured and tested on Rachel Ray's show, where firefighters gave them a go and came out of it sweat-free. Sweatblock is stronger and more effective than most clinical antiperspirants. You simply apply it at night before bedtime, go to bed, and the next morning you wake up, wash, and go about your day without worrying about sweat. Guaranteed. Get it today for 20% off at sweatblock.com with promo code Locked On or at Amazon and CVS. All right. Segment two coming at you. Segment one, we talked about Dominic Harris. We talked about his injury, how long he might be out, what it means for him, what it means for the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Moving on to a happier topic in segment two, we're going to talk about recruiting. We haven't had a ton of recruiting updates lately. It's kind of a slow period for recruiting. Obviously, the class of 2021 is done as school has started. Class of 2022, most players who have either already committed or are probably not going to commit until after the season. That kind of seems to be the general way that things work around this time of year. We do have a couple of small updates for you. First of all, the class of 2022 for Gonzaga is pretty light right now. They only have one commit. That is Braden Huff, six foot nine forward. He is number 165 in the class, according to 24-7 Sports' composite rankings. They individually ranked him 88th in the class, which is a pretty significant difference. Gonzaga's seen a lot of their recruits rise up the rankings pretty significantly. Caden Perry is a recent example of that. Julian Strother is a recent example of that. And of course, our topic in segment one, Dominic Harris, very recent example of that as well. 
I think right now Gonzaga isn't looking to add a huge class in 2022, in part because a lot of the players on their roster may be back. Julian Strother, Dominic Harris are obviously a part of that. It's very unclear on Hunter Salas and Nolan Hickman. Obviously, if they play really, really well, they could be one-and-done type guys. I I see them on a lot of draft boards already. ESPN really, really likes Nolan Hickman. They frequently have him within the top 30 as a potential first-round pick. That is very surprising to me. I would love for it to be correct, obviously, because it means he's going to ball out this year. But I think Gonzaga just hasn't prioritized a ton of dudes in the class of 2022. There are two names to keep an eye on who've recently had news updates regarding Gonzaga. The first one is, of course, Anthony Black. Anthony Black was very notably at craziness in the kennel. It was a big deal that he was there. It was a big deal that Mark Few was not there, in part because Anthony Black was there and he didn't get a chance to interact with him, at least in the arena. We don't know what happened behind the scenes, obviously. But Anthony Black, a little update on him. He's a 25th ranked prospect in the class of 2022, again, according to 24-7 Sports. He's from Duncanville, Texas. He's a six foot seven guard. That's fun. That's fun. You you love unicorn guys like that. Gonzaga has has delved into a lot of different player archetypes. Obviously, Chet Holmgren's the latest, the seven foot dude who can kind of play like a point guard and handle the ball and shoot a lot of threes. Obviously, Kyle Wiltshire was a big man who could shoot. They've had a lot of different types of players, but the six foot seven straight up point guard isn't really something they've had a lot of. Jerry Pargo was an oversized point guard. He was a bit of a rarity in terms of what Gonzaga's had. Nigel Williams Goss was not small for a point guard. He was he was big and physical, but they haven't had a six foot seven point guard. And again, they list him as a combo guard. He plays a little bit off the ball as well, but he could play point in theory. And that's fun. That's super fun to have a guy like this. In fact, he was compared to Sean Livingston, which I love this comparison. I've watched some tape of Anthony Black. I watched some of his high school mixtape, and you can see it. Sean Livingston is an absolute freak athlete before and really after his gruesome injury. And if Anthony Black is anything like that, he's going to be an absolute monster. There's a great article by Theo Lawson at the Spokesman Review that talked about Anthony Black and his arrival at the craziness in the kennel. Some quotes from him after the event. He thought it was insane. He was like, it's so crazy how, how big this fan base is, how much they love Gonzaga. He said he liked Spokane. He liked just being in town. The crowd started a big, we want a B chant for him, which kind of pumped him up. He was really all into that. So he said all the right stuff. He seemed super interested in it. There's plenty of reasons for Gonzaga to be interested in him. While they have five guards competing for four spots on this year's roster, it is very possible that multiples of them are gone (laughs) next year. I think, I mean, obviously Bolton will be gone. He's a graduate student. Nemhard will probably be gone after this year. That seems like a likely reality. And I wouldn't, I don't think it's crazy that at least one of Salas and Hickman go pro after one year. It's also possible both will be back, but even so, they'll still need more depth in the guard room. So Anthony Black would be an incredible get for this team this late on the recruiting trail. Up to this point, Black has not said anything. He has not released a top 10 list or a top five list. He hasn't really given any strong indications either way. So he's kind of a mystery. Gonzaga's stock rose. 24-7 sports people listed him as warm. They were a little bit more excited about him potentially being a zag after he, of course, came to campus. That's always a huge sign if a player is willing to come all the way out to campus, spend a weekend where the school is. Usually your chances of actually getting the player to come to campus for for their career is significantly higher. So clearly that helped with the Anthony Black sweepstakes. Right now, it looks like Oklahoma State and Baylor are maybe the potential options here. Although Baylor is not known to officially have given him an offer yet. His dad played basketball at Baylor. He's from Texas, obviously, so Baylor makes sense. Oklahoma State has made him an offer. I believe he has visited there. 
And again, it's somewhat local to where he is. So that one would make some sense as well. He has other offers, including Texas, Auburn, Creighton, Kansas, Kentucky, and Duke. You might have heard of some of those schools. (laughs) That would be a list of what they would call the Blue Bloods, at least the last three, Kansas, Kentucky, and Duke, certainly. So this is not going to be an easy get, but, you know, neither was Chet Holmgren, neither was Jalen Suggs, neither was Hunter Salas. Gonzaga managed to snag all three of those guys. So... Black is the is the top target right now. I think he's he's the dude that Gonzaga is hitching their wagon to for the class of 2022. If you look at the rest of the list, the top 100 list by 247 or their composite rankings or at Rivals or Scout or any of those other sites that do really good work to put these lists together, most of the top players are committed. And that's not surprising. That's usually how it goes. Of the ones that are not, Black is one of the most notable ones, and he is the most notable one that has any sort of connection to Gonzaga. So this is the player that the Zags are really hoping to put in a Gonzaga uniform. You can see why. You watch the tape. He's an explosive athlete. He's six foot seven, and he plays the point guard position. He fits a need for this team because I think a lot of their guards are going to be gone. It'd be a really, really, really great get. And hopefully what he saw at craziness, what the crowd brought, what the players brought on the court— got him interested in potentially coming to Spokane. The next player is AJ Casey. AJ Casey recently released released his top six list. He plans to announce on October 15th. So depending on when you are listening to this, most of you are probably listening to this on the 14th. You're going to know within 24 hours whether AJ Casey is going to be a Zag. For my money, he's probably not. He's probably not going to be a Zag. Now, he did list them among his top six, and he does have an offer from Gonzaga, but Gonzaga is not really considered a big candidate here. If you uh, follow Caldwell Zag, and he has a blog that talks about a lot of recruiting updates. He has an in on in the on the program, and he en- ends up having a lot of good information. If you don't follow him, you should check him out on Twitter. Follow his blog; really good stuff there. He kind of said that the Zags have sort of stopped pursuing AJ Casey. Now that doesn't mean that he's not going to commit there. It doesn't mean that they're not going to happily accept him if he does. I'm not saying that this is a done deal by any stretch of the imagination. But it probably means that for whatever reason, Gonzaga has decided he's not a huge priority for them, whether it's because they've put all of their eggs into the Anthony Black basket, whether they're just excited about Braden Huff and think that's good enough for the big men in the class of 2022, whether there's some other issue or they just they just kind of stopped being interested in him. I don't know. I don't know the case here. But Casey has a list of six. Gonzaga, of course, being one of them. The rest are DePaul, Miami, Michigan, Ohio State and Memphis. We know that he's visited with DePaul, Ohio State, and Miami. A lot of people think DePaul's the pick here. It does seem to not fit when you look at the other schools, but they've made a huge push for him. And there's a lot of people that kind of think this is going to be the way that Casey goes. Miami is also really considered a top candidate here as well. They're up in the hot category. I could see both of them fitting for him. Uh, he's the 68th ranked prospect in the class, six foot eight power forward from Chicago. Of course, that's where the DePaul connection comes from, hometown kid. I wouldn't put a lot of put a lot of stock into the AJ Casey stuff. I don't think he's going to end up in a Gonzaga uniform. I do think it is far more likely that Anthony Black ends up in a Gonzaga uniform, although I'm not super confident about that either. There's a lot of really good schools who are interested in him. He hasn't said anything yet. It's hard to get a really good read on what he wants to do. Obviously, coming all the way out to Spokane from Texas is a good sign. Gonzaga has a pipeline. In Texas, Drew Timmy, obviously the most notable recent example in that regard, so it could be something that happens. I know that there are some people who are probably thinking about this class, having just one player outside the top 150, and wondering if this is a cause for concern. I'm not worried about it. I'll say that right now. If they don't add anybody else to the class, 
then maybe it's it's a little bit eyebrow raising. Now, Gonzaga's done an incredible job on the transfer market, an incredible job. So that is why I, I never really fret too much about recruiting classes. They've also done a really good job of developing players who were ranked outside the top 150 or outside the top 200 and developing them into not only good quality college players, but in many cases, NBA players. So it wouldn't be crazy to think that Gonzaga can do really good stuff with some not as highly rated recruits because they've done it for 20 years. It's only been very recently that they've been getting these kinds of high level recruits that people expect a ton out of right away. That hasn't been the way Gonzaga has recruited ever. Kelly Olenek, not a highly rated recruit by any stretch of the imagination, a dude who redshirted partway through his collegiate career. Like they don't do, they they haven't always gotten these high level recruits. Zach Collins was the first five star in school history and he was very late add to the five star. He was a four star for most of the time that he was in high school. Obviously Jalen Suggs and now Chet Holmgren make this look like you kind of start to expect the five stars all the time. Class of 2022 might not have a five star, might not be the way that it rolls. And that's not a reason for Gonzaga fans to panic. The staff knows what they're doing. They know how to get the most out of the players that they have on the roster. They know how to to manipulate the transfer market to get the kind of players that fit their system. And there are a lot of players still yet to commit in this class, including Anthony Black, which could turn the whole thing around like that. All right, we talked Dominic Harris injury segment one. We covered some recruiting updates in segment two. We're going to make a very, very different transition in segment three we're going to talk about the four gonzaga players who played in the mlb this past season major league baseball we're going completely different sport we're not only jumping to the pros we're switching sports completely on you we're going to talk about those four guys but before we get there i want to tell you all about rockauto.com with the ever-increasing number of makes and models it is now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all of the parts you need Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning, like is your Odyssey an LX or an EX, and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts to their computer, choosing the only brand that a warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Plus, Rock Auto prices are reliably low for every customer, and they have everything you could need. Brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpets. I personally just had my 13-year-old car serviced very recently, and I can tell you having one place to find all of the parts I needed made things infinitely easier. So go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write locked on in there, how did you hear about us box, so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. Today's episode is also brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline is back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back on to start another college football season. As always, BetOnline is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With a newly updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, BetOnline.ag continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. That's double your initial deposit just for signing up. Don't forget to use promo code NFL100. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all of the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet Online is your online sportsbook experts, and it is the fastest and easiest way to bet all of your favorite sports.
right, third segment. For those of you who followed me at Scorezag Score, you may remember one of the last episodes I did before I transitioned over to Locked On Zags was a recap of all of the Gonzaga players who played minor league baseball. There was a bunch of them. There was like, I think, 15, 12 or 15 or so guys who played minor league baseball who went to Gonzaga. This is not just a basketball school, people. Not only are their men's and women's basketball programs exceptionally good, they have a they have a really good soccer program. Their women's team has been ranked in the top 20 this year. Their men's program has been good. Their tennis programs have been good. And their baseball team has been good for a very long time. They were good when I was there. And I feel like I was there a long time ago. I graduated in 2013. This is a good baseball school. And this year, four Zags, four, four Gonzaga Bulldogs played Major League Baseball. Two of them had already made their major league debuts. Marco Gonzalez has obviously been around for a long time. Taylor Jones debuted last year. And then two other players, right-hander Wyatt Mills for the Seattle Mariners and right-hander Eli Morgan for Cleveland, both made their major league debuts. Four dudes. We're going to talk about each and every one of them, how they did this past season, what their future looks like in the big league. Some of you may know this. I'm a big baseball fan. I wrote wrote about baseball, write about baseball for PitcherList.com. I've been writing about baseball for a very long time. So... This is a big passion of mine. Don't always get a lot of opportunities to talk about baseball in a Gonzaga podcast. This is one of those opportunities. I hope you'll stick with it. The Gonzaga baseball community is very strong. This is a program on the rise, and it's really, really fun to see these guys have some success. So we'll start with Marco. He's the the elder statesman of the group, the most known player. Marco started Gonzaga quite a long time ago. He was a first-round pick by the St. Louis Cardinals in the 2013 draft, ended up getting traded to the Seattle Mariners in exchange for prospect Tyler O'Neill. Many people didn't like the trade at the time, but Marco has been really, really good in a Mariners uniform. It's so fun to see a Zag dominate in the Seattle market, do really well for this team. He had a kind of an up-and-down season in 2021 with the Mariners. He ended up finishing with a 10-6 and record, 3.96 ERA, 1.16 whip. He had 108 strikeouts in 25 starts, 143 innings. That doesn't really tell... The whole story for Marco, those numbers are good. Any ERA below four is good. Some people who haven't been baseball fans for a while might think that doesn't sound all that good, but the the scoring atmosphere in baseball right now is such that any ERA below four is pretty good. You're happy with that. If it starts with a three, that's that's good stuff because there's there's a lot of runs being scored in baseball right now. But Marco's season was really a tale of two halves. In the first half of the season, his ERA was 5.88. That's very bad. No matter what the offensive environment is, that's not good. Uh, He was really struggling. He uh, had expressed some displeasure on social media, in part because Mariners fans were being extremely rude to him and his wife, who is also a Gonzaga alumni, and their newborn child, which is just because sports fans uh, in a lot of ways are sometimes the worst. (laughs) It's just a reality. Most people are aware of that. But uh, don't be those people, please. Please, please, please don't be those people who yell at a new dad uh, and his wife and his young kid because he is not pitching as well as you would like him to. That's just that's not okay. Um, But Marco not only responded to that positively, he then turned around and had a really good second half of the year when the Mariners really, really needed him to turn it around. You say Kikuchi started struggling and the team just kind of started to lose their identity and was really struggling for a while. And then Marco just turned on the Jets and was consistent night in and night out. In the second half of the season, he had a 270 ERA. He went on a ridiculous stretch from July 3rd to October 1st. During that stretch, Marco didn't lose a game. He went 9-0. Nine wins, zero losses during a stretch when the Mariners were clinging to hope for making a playoff spot. If you don't recall, the Mariners were within a day of making the playoff. They were right there a year before many people expected them to be competitive. And in big part of that story was Marco going absolutely ham 
from early July until the end of the season, basically. He was on fire, and it was incredible to see him be that player. He's a fixture in the rotation. He's an emotional leader. He's the savvy veteran, and he is not boring. Some of you may recall Mariners president, former president and CEO Kevin Mather had a very interesting interview thing that went live on YouTube where he expressed a lot of very negative things about the team. And one of the things he said was that Marco is very boring. And Marco responded to this by wearing T-shirts that said very boring and generally being critical of him, but also taking light of it, which was a very fun thing to see him to do. Zags aren't boring, right? We can't be boring. We went to Gonzaga. So I love it. I love Marco. I'm thrilled that he finished the season so strong because he really had a rough first half of the year. And I'm pumped to see him continue to be a part of the Mariners rotation going forward as they're they're heading towards being a playoff team and a real contender. And Marco's going to be a part of that. Next up is Wyatt Mills. Wyatt also played for the Seattle Mariners this past season, did not have the level of success that Marco did, unfortunately. Wyatt was a third rounder by Seattle back in 2017. When they made the pick, it was a little bit surprising. People knew he was going to get drafted. But getting drafted in the third round was pretty high. It was partly because, and I won't get into all of the minutia of how drafting contracts work in baseball, but effectively they could sign him for less money than they would normally pay a player at that spot. And they used that extra money to sign a player in the fifth round that was probably worth more than a normal fifth rounder. Let's put it that way. Regardless, super dope to see Wyatt end up in a Seattle uniform and make it all the way to the big leagues. He throws with a really ridiculous sidearm delivery. I remember seeing him at Gonzaga. They came to the University of Portland when I was working at UP. I went and watched the game. There was a lot of scouts in the stands next to me, and I didn't know that until Wyatt came in the game, and all of a sudden, all of their radar guns came out, and I was like, oh, this is why they're all here. They're all here to watch this kid, and you can see why, because... He throws sidearm, he throws in the mid-90s, which is crazy, and now he's a big leaguer. He made his major league debut on May 1st, threw one inning, didn't give up any runs. He was with the team from May 1st all the way until May 26th. In that time, he threw eight innings, did not have a lot of success, gave up 10 runs in that time, unfortunately, and then he was sent back down to the minor leagues. He got recalled again in August, made three appearances with the team in August, had an 8.31 ERA during that time. So all told, 12 appearances in the major leagues, 9.95 ERA. He did have a 4.35 FIP, which long story short, FIP is a way to measure a pitcher's success without factoring in some of the things that are luck-based. So if his ERA was 10, that means that he got very unlucky because his FIP was only 4.3, which is a more potentially accurate measure of how well he pitched, I guess is the best simple way to explain that. So point is, White Mills probably pitched a lot better than, an ER, than a pitcher with an ERA of 10, but it still reflects that way. Bit of a bummer first start for him, but he's still a super fun guy. He's still young. The Mariners are still invested in keeping him around. I think his mechanics alone will keep him employed. He's going to continue to have a job. He's really, really tough to hit for right-handed hitters. Most hitters are still right-handed, so I think he's going to stick around. I'd love to see him be a part of the bullpen next year, especially as this team continues to grow and climb and potentially be a playoff caliber team. Next up, Eli Morgan. Eli was an eighth-round pick by the Cleveland Ball Club in 2017. He made his major league debut this year on May 28th. It was a spot start, only through two and a third or two and two-thirds innings, six earned runs. Not a great start for him. He did not come back up again until June 17th. Then he made four straight starts. Really didn't have a lot of success there either. Six, seven, five ERA through those four starts. So he was really struggling through his first five outings. Came up again on July 16th, and then he was just with the team. Cleveland had a ton of injuries last year. Most of their starting rotation got hurt. Eli was not a guy that was expected to be a significant part of Cleveland's team. And yet he ended up being a guy who made 13 starts down the stretch for this team. And then things got a lot better. 
He threw 68 innings. He had a 4-4 four and four record, 4.37 ERA, 59 strikeouts. Pretty solid stuff. In fact, in those 13 starts, he only gave up more than three runs four times. That means in nine of his 13 appearances, he gave up three or less runs. That's pretty good. That's pretty good in this offensive environment. You give your team a chance to win if you give up three or less runs every time. Unless you do it in the first inning, you would give yourself a chance to win if you give up three or less runs. So it was a solid year for Eli. Eli is one of the nastiest changeups in baseball. I remember it was a huge story when he was at Gonzaga how nastiest changeup was. He got in the minor leagues. Then he won awards for having the nastiest changeup in all of minor league baseball. You watch a video of it. It looks like he's throwing a yo-yo. This pitch comes out of his hand, it goes towards the plate, it looks like it's going straight, and then it just drops off the face of the freaking earth. It is a disgusting, nasty pitch, and I love watching it. I could watch GIFs of Eli Morgan's changeup all day long. He needs to work on some other stuff, and I could go into a lot more detail, but I'm not going to for this podcast. If you're interested, shoot me a DM. I'd love to talk to you about Eli Morgan and fantasy baseball and pitching mechanics and all of that. It's right up my alley, but I think Eli has a chance to be a good pitcher and he's in the right organization. Cleveland has a great reputation for developing pitchers. Shane Bieber, Aaron Savali, they had Trevor Bauer, Tristan McKenzie, Mike Clevenger. They've had a lot of pitchers who weren't super heralded prospects who've turned into studs because of the way that they develop pitching. Eli could be next. And if you're a Gonzaga fan and you are a baseball fan, keep his name on the tip of your tongue. Be ready. Be ready to talk about him because in a few years, you get to be like, yo, I was right. That dude is good. That dude is good and I told you he was going to be good because he's got a nasty changeup and he's in the Cleveland organization and he's a Gonzaga player and boom, look at that. He's good. All right, last but not least, Taylor Jones, the only position player of the group. He is a first baseman slash left fielder for the Houston Astros. He was a sixth, or excuse me, a 19th round pick back in 2016. A lot of 19th round picks, they don't make the big leagues. It's pretty rare. So that's a really... Really nice accomplishment for him. He made the big leagues in 2020 during the COVID-shortened season, and then he was up again this year. He played in 35 games, 108 total plate appearances on the year. He was up and down a ton between their AAA club and the Houston organization. He was just pinballing between AAA and the major leagues. But all told, 108 plate appearances, pretty solid. He hit 245, had a pair of home runs, 16 RBIs, eight doubles. His last One of his last hits of the season, his last home run of the year, was off Mariner starter Logan Gilbert, a very good young player in his own right. So kudos to Taylor Jones for doing that. I think he's going to continue to be in this kind of role where he's not a starter and he's not a full-time bench player. He's kind of pinballing between AAA and the major leagues. It's not a super fun role, but if you, you, know, if you told me, hey, you're going to have to travel a lot on buses, but you're also going to get 100, a time, 100 chances to hit a home run in the major leagues. Hell yeah, I'm going to take that deal every single time, and I'm sure Taylor is going to take that deal too. And hopefully, uh, I don't want to hope injury for anybody, obviously, but hopefully there's an opportunity for Taylor to get some more at-bats and really show what he can do, because I think this is a guy who could hit 20 home runs per season in the major leagues if he gets that opportunity. There will be more names. These are the only four names for 2021, but Brandon Bailey, he made his major league debut in 2020. He missed all of this season with Tommy John surgery. Uh, he will be back. Daniel Bees, very close to making his major league debut before he got hurt last year. He will be back. Alec Jacob, Brett Harris, Ernie Yake. Those are names that you probably know if you followed this Gonzaga team last year and their tremendous run into the NCAA tournament. Those are all guys who could be big leaguers. Probably not next year. That would be very surprising. But in a couple of years, yeah, I think you're going to hear some of those names in the major leagues. And it's going to be really fun when we're talking about 15, 18, 20 dudes in the NBA for the Zags. And hey, also, there's five, there, there's 10, there's eight, there's 10 of them. In the major leagues, it's going to be a really, really fun time to be a Gonzaga fan. Not that it's not a super fun time to be a Gonzaga fan right now. And if you are a Gonzaga fan, and I'm betting you are because you're listening to this show, 
Tell your friends about Locked on Zags. Tell them they can get it wherever they already get podcasts. Also, we are continuing our player preview series. We took a little break today, but Friday's episode going to be all about one of the most intriguing new guys on this roster. That would be super athletic big man, Caden Perry. It's going to be right here on the Locked on Zags podcast. Like I said, available wherever you get your podcasts, soon to be available on YouTube and all the links will be available on Twitter at Locked on Zags and on my own Twitter account, which if you do not follow, you can be, you can find it at ScoreZags Score. Finally, now is a great time to make your next listen of the day, the Locked on NBA podcast. You can get all your daily NBA updates from a variety of league experts while checking in on your favorite Zags playing at the next level. All right. Thank you so much for listening and go Zags.